The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. It's true. We often go through deep, painful disappointments. But are you willing to hope again? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. To the line of fire, Michael Brown, delighted to be with you and, and ready to really dig deep today into some difficult spiritual questions and give you some hope and encouragement based on the word and based on the truthfulness of God, not based on emotion, not based on hype, not even based only on story and testimony, but on story and testimony that are based themselves on the word of God. Also, there's some important news that I, I want to interact with. Uh, we'll do that a little later in the show. And I want to take calls, any subject you want to talk to me about at all, things we've been talking about the last few days on the air, anything else, articles I've written you want to interact with, 866-348-7884. So it doesn't have to be on this topic at all. But if you, if you have struggled, if, you're, if you are having a hard time believing again, or, or finding hope again, then uh, by all means, give us a call. We'd love to speak with you as well. 866-348-7884. I, I want to take a look at a verse in Proverbs. It's actually Proverbs 13, 12. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Uh, and, and I want to give you some background in terms of why I'm, I'm talking about this subject. Proverbs 13, it's a verse that when we get to it, you'll say, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew the verse. Many times we don't remember exactly where a verse is, but, but we're familiar with it. As I have been going on regular prayer retreats the last year and a half, so on average, maybe about every five weeks, so I schedule them on, on a monthly basis, and then with travel schedule and other things, maybe it works out to on average about every five weeks. So 10 or 11 of these prayer retreats in a year. And, and I just go away for the weekend and just go somewhere local, get a hotel suite, or draw, or if I'm on the road, extend my stay where I am. And I'll, I'll, I'll get going on a Friday night, so I have my salad dinner, and then spend Friday night in prayer, then all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night. So, you know, take a break for meals. I'll read the words some. I may write very, very little, or just, just take a you know, break while eating, etc. But otherwise, I'm, I'm spending hour after hour in prayer before the Lord. It's, it's just wonderful being with Him, and, and I'm being affected by it, and I know prayers are being answered. And God, for a year and a half steadily, but for years before that as well, keeps laying on my heart to pray through and take hold of promises that He's given me in years past that have been long delayed in fulfillment. And, and when they're long delayed in fulfillment, or when you have disappointment along the way, or maybe even death along the way, and everything is shattered, it's, it's very easy to think it's never going to happen. And you, you almost don't want to make yourself vulnerable again, to believe again. And, you know, why even let my hopes rise if they're going to come crashing down in the end? Why, why bother? Why be disappointed again? Or I don't want to be deceived these are real things that human beings go through. People of faith go through this as well, especially when you had such expectation. You were so sure things were going to happen, and 
they didn't. Some, it seems like it's too late for it to ever happen. Like I said, there's death or something else where it's, it's even taken away the, where your very hope was that certain things were going to happen with, with you and your spouse or to a child and the child's not even here. And how, how, how can we believe God for promises where everything's been crushed and dashed? So this is something very real that we deal with. And, and so many of us lost people close to us during COVID. It, it, it brings this home once again. Can I believe again? You know, how many times am I going to believe again and put my trust in God again only to see it doesn't happen? And, and for some, you lose faith in God entirely. For others, it's not that at all. It's just, hey, I love the Lord, but I'm going to forget about contending for these promises. I love the Lord, but let me just be realistic and realize maybe I exaggerated. Maybe God never really spoke to me, whatever, but I'm not going to be praying crying out, fasting for these things anymore. Just they're not going to happen. Accept it, get over it, and move on. So in my own life, by God's grace, we reach a whole lot of people. And around the world, we hear from people who've been blessed by our ministry, and I'm humbled by any good thing. God knows this. I know it. Any good thing that comes out of me that blesses you is from the Lord. It is His work. It is His grace. It is to His credit, to His honor, to His glory. I am who I am exclusively because of Jesus. That's the beginning. That's the end. Having said that, the Lord has promised me over the years many things that I have not yet seen. I've, I've seen enough things happen in my 67 years and 51 years in the Lord to fill several lifetimes over. And yet there are things he has spoken to me about that we are to do so that his name will be magnified that we haven't done yet. And they're big and they're major. And he keeps stirring my heart again to pray for these very things and stirring my heart to exercise faith for them. For those just tuning in, you say, I thought you were going to talk about political issues. We do some days. I thought you were going to talk about like culture wars. We do some days. I thought you were going to talk about theological controversies. We do some days. We did those things this very week. Culture wars on Monday, theological controversy yesterday, tomorrow, a whole lot of stuff about black Hebrew Israelites. Yeah, so we do all those things, and we don't just do those things because we're, we're here to, to infuse you with faith. We're here to give you hope, not just based on the guy on the radio told me I should have hope. Hey, you remember Rush Limbaugh, if you used to listen to him, he would say, I'll, I'll tell you when to panic. In other words, people listened and found stability because he gave them hope. But I've got a hope beyond any hope he was giving as an optimistic man and as a, as a man full of insight. I'm giving you hope beyond that because it's, it's based on Scripture. It's based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So this, this broadcast may be for someone you love. Share it with them. Share it with them. If you're watching on YouTube, just, just click that thumbs up. If you're watching on Facebook, just click share. Let's, let's spread this message. It's very important. All right, so we go over to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. And it says in, in Hebrew, Tochelet memushacha machlelev, which is uh, hope which is stretched, elongated. So hope deferred is how we're, we're uh, familiar with it. Hope deferred is a sickness of heart. It's a, it's a metaphor in Hebrew. It's, it's not a simile. Hope deferred is like sickness of heart. It's, it's a metaphor. So, so tochelet mumushacha machalelev. So, when when you're hoping for something and, and and it's stretched out and it's prolonged and it never happens, your your heart gets sick. But a tree of life it is 
when the when the the thing you've desired comes. So hope deferred sickens the heart, but desire realized is a tree of life. All right. So why is it that so often God allows our hopes to be deferred? And then he answers. I'm not talking about just I had a dream. I had a thought. I had a desire. No, I'm not talking about my own dreams, desires, your own dreams, desires, but something that God put inside of you, a promise, something that's, that's scriptural, a word that the Spirit spoke to you, and you know it. You know it's from the Lord. Why does it often take so long to come to pass? And why is it often that we, we come to the end of ourselves and even come to a point of despair before the answer comes? Now, some of it is obvious. The things take time, Right. In other words, if you're a 12-year-old girl and you just have this clear vision, the Lord showed me I'm going to be married, I'm going to have a big family, and, and our, our kids are going to be missionaries and doctors. Okay, by the time you get married, by the time you have a big family, by the time you raise those kids, by the time those kids get trained to be missionaries and doctors and go out in the field, it's going to be many years. That could be 30, 40 years in the making. So certain things take time, obviously. Certain things take time in terms of us, that we're not ready. We have to grow. We have to mature. We have to overcome certain obstacles in our lives. We, we have to learn by experience. So there's certain things that just take time in us. But, but there are other things I believe God does. So I want you to think with me. In Luke 24, you've got the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? And they had put all their eggs in this one basket, that this Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, that, that he's the one. And, and it's, it's, it's like a dream. It's, we're getting to see it. This is unreal. Did you hear him teach? Did you see the looks on the people's faces? Did you see how he confounded the, the religious hypocrites? Did, we were there when he healed the blind man. Did you hear about the dead birth? Yeah, they walked down more. This is, it's him. It's, we know it's him. And he's, all these people are coming to God that never believed before and they're repenting of their sins. He's the one. And you're telling everyone, and, and he, he dies? What? He dies? He, he dies by crucifixion, the most scandalous death in the ancient world. What? It can't be. He's the Messiah. Well, he said he was going to die, right? Well, people just didn't get it. They were, they were too dense in terms of hearing and understanding. So he's with these disciples. He's risen from the dead. And they said, yeah, you know, we, we had hoped. We had hoped. He says, you know, why are you downcast? The Lord asked him, why are you downcast? What's the matter? We had, you know, we thought Jesus, we thought he was the one. And God confirmed in word and deed that he was the Messiah. But, uh, but then he's killed. And now there are reports that he rose from the dead. I don't know how, what's going on. And we really thought it was him. And then he begins to open up the scriptures, how oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to die before coming into his glory? And he, he speaks to them and doesn't, he doesn't reveal who he is until he's ready to leave and then disappears from their sight. And then they realize it was him. And as he spoke, their hearts were on fire. The words were burning in their hearts. But, but think of this. They, their hopes came crashing down for what? Why? Why does it often happen like that? We really thought this was it. We really thought the breakthrough was here. We really thought the healing would come. We, we really thought God would bless the ministry. We really thought this endeavor was something we were called by God to do, and now everything's in shambles. Why? Many times, it's so that we come to the end of ourselves. We come to the end of self-dependence. 
we come to the end of self-confidence. We come to the end of being able to figure things out. We come to the end of that. And then we come into resurrection life. And then we know it is only God. It is his grace. It is his purpose. It is not our strength. It is not our ability. It is not our wisdom. It's all him. It's only him. And our confidence in self is broken, but our confidence in God is now established. Maybe that's what's happening in your life. Maybe that answer that you prayed for for so many years is right around the corner. Don't give up hope now. God is trustworthy. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Let me give you my daily reminder, almost daily reminder, to download our app if you haven't yet. I know you ride in your car, happen to tune in or pick up the podcast you haven't listened before, hence the frequent reminders. But if you have our old app on Android, you just want to Uninstall that and install the new one, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries. And of course, it's finally available on Apple for the first time. So be sure to go ahead and do that. And you can listen anywhere, anytime, just when, when the show's on, just listen on your phone if you're out of range from a radio station. Or you can just, if you've missed the previous day's broadcast, just click on that. Uh, it'll come up, latest articles, all the materials there. As soon as an article is posted, you'll have reference to it there. So be sure to download it. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries. If you like it, give it a good review and then share it with your friends. All right, I'm going to go the, to the phones momentarily, but let me stay here a little bit longer. It is possible for us to be self-deluded, of course. It is possible for us to be self-deceived. It is possible for us to believe God's speaking to us when he is. And it is possible for us to misapply promises in scripture and make them say things they don't. So I'm not saying that every hope in our heart is necessarily from God or every, everything we believe he's spoken to us is really from God. I'm saying there are things that you know are from the Lord, that you know he spoke to. Maybe when you were set aside from the work of ministry, there were different people who had prophetic words over you that, that knew very little or even nothing about you. And they all said the same thing and promised things that you've never even touched, that you've never come near in terms of ministry effectiveness. And you think, well, you know, I, I don't want to be grandiose in my own thinking and I don't want to exalt myself and whatever the Lord wants me to do, I'm happy to do it. Well, that's a good attitude to have for sure. But it's not about us, it's about him. If he has a purpose to reach more people, if he has a purpose to touch more lives, if he has a, a purpose to draw more people to himself through you, then, then don't put your humility in the way of the greatness of the promise. Instead, say, Lord, you spoke those things. And when it happened, I knew it because that was in my heart too. And for me, I rejoice in every life we get to touch as we've been able to pour into thousands of students over the years, and, and so many of them bearing great fruit for the Lord as grads all around the world, as I've had the privilege of ministering outside of the U.S. 200 different trips 
including over 160 overseas trips. So spent several years of my life out of the United States combined, pouring into others, seeing God do such amazing things, have seen so much good fruit with Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus, the Messiah. So many people been able to talk to for uh, 14 years now on daily talk radio and, and the, the thousands or millions we can reach through articles and internet. I, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm profoundly grateful that we've been able to do this. And as I said earlier, any good thing that comes out of me, there's only one that gets credit and praise, and that's the Lord. That's Jesus, Yeshua. That's, that's our King. He's the one that gets the praise, the, the glory, the credit. As Paul wrote, that he who sows is nothing and he who reaps is nothing, or he who waters, he who plants is nothing, but rather God who gives the increase, he's everything. As Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, right? With him, all things are possible. For me, I could just be thankful for what we do and those that we're able to reach, except the Lord keeps stirring me about promises and things he's spoken to me about, uh, uh, a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution in America, of changes beyond what we've seen, of coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the salvation of many more Jewish people, of our voice reaching many, many more through radio. And everything he's spoken to me will happen because he's faithful, because he's God. And I'll lay it aside. And then when I go to pray, he stirs me. He stirs me to pray for it. Therefore, he stirs me to believe for it. So are you willing to hope again? If you've been through deep disappointment, if, if your, your very heart has been stabbed with pain and loss, especially the loss of someone close to you, or deep disappointment, what about betrayal? What about deep betrayal? Maybe in the business world, maybe relationally, maybe in the ministry. And you got, you're stabbed in the back and, and that wound is still fresh. Are you willing to trust again? Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable again? You know, I'm, I made a determination after going through a, a betrayal many years ago. And maybe the person involved thought they were doing the right thing and honoring God. Personally, it was, a, it was a deep betrayal to me. And I remember going through that and getting hurt, trusting people in a maybe naive way and getting stabbed in the back. And, and I thought, okay, as I go on in ministry, I could put up walls, run this like a business, keep myself absolutely safe, and, and avoid getting stabbed in the back, avoid getting stabbed at all, because no one's going to get that close to me. Or I could do my best to walk in wisdom, walk in discernment, but walk in love. And if I'm going to get stabbed, it's in the back because I'm not expecting it. And I thought, that's the only way to live. The first is just turning things into a non-relational business. That's not ministry. That's not the heart of God. You have to make yourself vulnerable. So if I'm going to get betrayed, it's going to be stabbed in the back because I trust people. And not in a naive way, but, but in, in a Jesus way of, of I want to believe the best. All right. And, and, and that's, that's how I'm going to live. Again, not in a way where you set yourself up to be conned or destroyed. You use wisdom. You exercise discernment. You know, there's certain things you don't do and certain people you don't work with and so on. But I'm going to trust people otherwise in the Lord. And because it's the only way to live. Maybe you got all these walls up. It's like, I can't believe again. I've just been too disappointed. It's been too many times. My faith has been crushed and just too many. It's, it's, it's too painful. But now you're a shell of yourself. If you're, if you're a child of God, by definition, you are a believer. And the word says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and the word says that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory by which we overcome the world, even our faith. So faith is risky. 
Faith is saying, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust again. I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to make myself vulnerable again. But faith is glorious because it, it brings us into that holy connection with God. And that's been something the Lord's been challenging me with for, for several years now. Where's your faith? Where's your Lord, I don't want to be presumptuous. Where's your faith? Lord, I don't want to be self-deceived. Where's your faith? In other words, God's given promises. God's been prompting. God's been moving. The only reason, friend, that God moves on you to pray for something is because he wants to answer that prayer. The only reason that God stirs you to believe for something, again, is because he wants to bring it to realization. And it is by faith that you, you take hold of it. Not just by speaking words. You can't create, create realities by speaking words. I now declare that I have $100 million to give to the poor. Be wonderful, but that doesn't mean I have it. I now declare that I am the next president of the United States. Well, that wouldn't be wonderful, but <laughs> I'm not, that's not my calling. But that's not going to make it happen. I now declare that I have no debt. Well, if you have debt, you still have it. So we're not talking about just speaking empty words or thinking that by speaking words, I can create realities. No, I'm talking about believing God, believing what God has said. And then speaking in faith according to that, I believe, God, that it will be as he said. So I live daily with great encouragement in my heart, despite the crazy things happening in the world. Despite the fact that the Senate, with the help of 12 Republican senators, shamefully passed, uh, now turn over to the House, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, which will further codify same-sex marriage nationally, which will further remove the possibility of the Supreme Court for undoing their, their poor decision with the Obergefell case in 2015 that, that will now make it much harder for a Christian to simply be a Christian and hold to their faith because of potential discrimination lawsuits. And there were amendments that were added on that, that would have made it much better, still shouldn't have been signed by these conservatives or alleged conservatives, but... It, it, even so, it would have made it signable because of the religious protections part. Wouldn't have made it signable in, in terms of, uh, wouldn't have made it signable in terms of, of uh, uh, that you are now agreeing to have this more deeply codified. That's, that's bad news. And I live in North Carolina. Both North Carolina senators were among the 12 Republicans saying, yeah, well, now it embraces religious liberties here, which it does not, it does not in a comprehensive way. So it, that's bad news. That's, that's a real shame. As much as I, I love every individual, as much as I want to see God's best for every individual, as much as if I had gay neighbors, a gay couple, I'd, I'd treat them like everyone else and, in fact, go out of my way to treat them with kindness, despite the fact that I don't believe it's marriage in God's sight. That, that's bad news. But I, I live with constant encouragement because the kingdom of God is advancing. I live with constant encouragement because Jesus rose from the dead. And he's Lord, and all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. That's reality. I live with constant encouragement because the kingdom of God will be established on the earth when Jesus returns. And, and death and pain will disappear. I live with constant encouragement because the fullness of the Gentiles will come in, and all Israel will be saved. These things will happen. I live with constant encouragement because God saved and forgiven me, and, and by his spirit lives inside of me, and has called me to serve and honor him. How can I be discouraged? You say, yeah, but what about when there were promises and, and now there's death and somehow God brings resurrection? Obviously not a person who died years ago. And, and, and you say, yeah, but that was for us to do as a couple. I don't know how it works out. 
I can only say that God has the ability to bring life out of death. That God has the ability to resurrect a promise even when the essence of that promise seems to have died. And I want to encourage you to put your hope in God, the Redeemer. He will not disappoint you. I'm encouraging you to put all your eggs in that basket. I'm encouraging you to jump with both feet into his arms. He is faithful. Let hope rise again. I feel God directed me to speak about these things, almost a mini sermon here, which I don't normally do like this on the air. For, For some of you, very specifically, let hope rise again. He's faithful. He'll do it. We come back. I'm going straight to the phones. Thanks for holding. We'll take your calls on the other side of the break. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Hey, a a quick request. Please don't berate me online for not responding to a comment, which over the course of a month is one of tens of thousands of comments posted, 99.9% of which I don't see. When we open the phone lines for callers, basically five days a week, and you have opportunity to call. I've had people, how come you don't answer my question? Like, well, I didn't see your question, number one. Number two, we open the phone lines. We pay for radio time so you can call in with your question. Number three, you can always write to our website with a question, and we respond. Oh, yeah. So don't get, don't get mad. How do we want to debate someone? Well, we've offered it. They won't debate us. But many times. Why don't you bring someone on for that? Because we've invited people many times. They won't come. We, we got open doors here. 866-348-7884. Uh, let's start with an anonymous caller in Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello? I guess they're gone. All right, let's go over to Peter in Oklahoma. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello? Yes, you're on the air. Would you please discuss in the book of Jude um, the admonition of not speaking evil of dignities and and maybe then when he said, though you once knew this, of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear. And it reminds me of when Jesus, I guess, revealed that at the judgment he will say to some, Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. And I think it's related to, in Jude, speaking evil of dignities. Uh, yeah, you. yeah, sure thing. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that Jesus is speaking about that at all in Matthew 7. Uh, depart from me, I never knew you, in terms of the speaking evil of, of dignities. I don't believe that's the issue there at all, but rather the claiming to be following him while rejecting his lordship. Uh, as, as, for, as for Jude, it's, it's very interesting. It's talking about Michael the archangel and the dispute over the body of, of Moses. And it says, 
Um, speaking of the scoffers and the mockers and the sinners before, verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams to file the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So that's the speaking evil of dignitaries, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all the day, uh, all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So it's an interesting passage. What is exactly it's speaking of? It would seem to be uh, speaking in reviling terms of angelic powers, even if these are fallen, that the idea that, say, Michael the archangel would would address Satan and, you know, you slimy reptile liar, you know, you idiot fool, I'm going to crush you with my pinky. That No, he said the Lord rebuke you. He, he simply spoke that even when Jesus is dealing with the devil in, in, in the wilderness, so as laid out in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, he simply speaks the word to him. He speaks the word, rebukes in that sense. So it's not a matter of us reviling these heavenly powers, even fallen ones, in ways that we think is going to be somehow spiritual. And it would appear that some of these false teachers engaged in that and perhaps even, even spoke against a holy and angelic powers as well. So it's an interesting verse. Um, that's as best as I understand it and as many commentators would understand it as well. Uh, so thank you for the question. Uh, all right, I think we reconnected with our anonymous caller. So go ahead, you're on the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown, can you hear me? Yes, I can. can you hear- all right, Dr. Brown, um, here's my problem. I've been having such a hard time. Like, the thing is, is that I've been living in my parents' house for quite a while, ever since finishing college. And the thing is, is that I can't afford a place of my own COVID kept me with them, and I've been pretty much having a pretty t- tough bet. I haven't been having the best, a solid relationship with them during this time, and because of that, I often get discouraged. And in some ways, it in some ways they it's even been hard for my faith too, especially during this time where you where sometimes they are even as t- there are sometimes even they can be tough. Is tough and pretty toxic towards people who don't believe as them either. And I was like, y'all are not really helping me maintain hope in Christ, even. And yeah, this so, was so like here's, a church-going family. Yeah, so so here's here's what it comes down to. Uh, and I, even though it's an anonymous call, I recognize the voices uh, from previous calls, sir. Uh, here here's what it comes down to: that every one of us will go through trials. It's guaranteed. Every one of us will go through difficult times. It's guaranteed. And what we have to do is find victory in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of financial lack, in the midst of people opposing us, in the midst of family tension, in the midst of personal discouragement. We have to learn to rejoice because of who he is and knowing that the trying of our faith produces perseverance. Really read through James, Jacob, the first chapter, over and over. First Peter as well. Read through it, take hold of it. The trying of our faith, putting us in difficult situations is the very means to growth. And many times we will not graduate from that until we learn to praise God and rejoice in the midst of it. 
See, it's easy to say when the circumstances change, I will rejoice. When the circumstances change, I'll praise God. What you have to do is, is what Paul and Silas did in a, in a prison, so in a miserable dungeon cell in, in a jail in Philippi, with their backs bleeding, flogged, in chains, and who knows, rats scurrying around and all kinds of garbage and junk and human waste in the, in the, in the floor. I mean, it's a horrific setting. And in the midst of that, at midnight, so the darkest hour, pictured as that, what do they do? They praise God. They rejoice. It, it's something that, that we need to learn to do Rejoice when you are in difficult situations. And God, you say, but how? That's where God comes in. Lord, I don't feel it. Lord, it's it's counterintuitive, but I'm going to praise you anyway. Lord, I'm thanking you for putting me in this situation and for allowing me to stay in this situation. I'm thanking you for the difficulties, for the challenges. And what you want to do is grow through it. And, and then God can promote you to greater faith and greater effectiveness and it's challenging, but those rough places are the very places where we grow. And sometimes God will move us out because we can't handle it. But it doesn't mean that we graduate. We're going to go through it again until we get it right. So I do my best to learn in the midst of the test and the trial of the moment. Because out of that, now I, now I can grow into everything God called me to grow into and be who he called me to be. And have my faith strengthened so I can minister to others. Right? That's why I can minister to you in the midst of this, having been tried by fire and pressured and, and you feel like you're crushed. And, and it's, it's hard emotionally. You begin to rejoice and praise him. And many times the joy of the Lord will fall right in the midst of that. Otherwise, you determine to praise him no matter what. And you will see breakthroughs. You will see change. All right, grace, grace to you. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Eugene in... Arizona, welcome to the line of fire. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the uh, encouragement in the beginning of your broadcast. It was really helpful. You're very welcome. Yes, sir. And so, so my question: I'm I'm studying Christology right now, trying to get um, more of an apologetical grounding on how to defend and teach and to better understand the deity of Jesus Christ. And um, a question that I have was concerning his actual nature, obviously. Um, we believe that Christ is God and that He is sinless, but I'm a little bit confused when I read James chapter 1. Um, it talks about how God is, is holy, and He can't even be tempted to, to sin. He can't be tempted by evil, and yet the Bible says that Jesus was tempted to sin. And so I'm wondering how, um, how to kind of make sense, like if, if Christ had a sin nature, and if He doesn't have a sin nature, how can you explain Him being tempted to sin? Uh, and just kind of like a follow-up question, too, just, you know, practical advice. I recognize that these type of studies, they're very engaging intellectually. It's very challenging, and, and I think most sacrificial of all, it's very time-consuming. And so for you who've kind of been there and done that, and you have a lot of experience doing this, what's kind of like advice that you could maybe give to a young student who wants to be really, really well-grounded um, in just his general knowledge of the Word, because it is quite demanding? Right, so let me answer the second question first. Above all, you want everything to be devotional. If, if you don't end up with deeper worship, then the point is being missed, and it's easy to, to miss it because we get very theological and very heady as opposed to being worshipful. So 
I would make sure that before I study something, I really pray, God, give me insight so that Jesus will be better glorified in my eyes. Uh, pray all the, the good things that should come out of this. And then uh, make sure that you give yourself to worship. And the other thing is that there's certain debates. The, the question you're asking does have a simple answer, but there, there are debates that get very complex and very deep and that are ultimately, uh, you know, arguing about how many angels can, can fit on the, the, the head of, an, of a needle, you know, that kind of thing. So there's, there's, often, there's, there's often no fruit to it because it's going to end up almost going around in, in theological circles. Or, or that the minutia, the little point. I was, I was interacting with a brother about this the other day with a strong theological mind. I said, I'm all for theological precision. But some of the nuances you're arguing for, I think if you talk to New Testament believers, they wouldn't have a clue what we've been talking about. You know, the nuances and where the church, you're arguing about this point or that point. So I'm 51 years in the Lord. I major in the majors. I, I get on my face and I worship God as God. And I'm in awe of who he is. And, and everything, if I'm going to study his word, I'm not mainly trying to learn the Bible. I'm trying to grow in God. I'm trying to take in his word into my heart and mind so I can better serve him and follow him. So the languages, the study, it, it's all to better understand the word so I can follow what's written and have a deeper relationship with God. And if that's not the outcome, then I'll put down the, the foreign languages and I'll put down the theological study and just read the Bible in the simplest language I can, best for me, and say, God... Speak to me. Change my life. Help me to grow. All right, back to your other question on the other side of the break. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. Be sure not to miss a single show next week. God willing, I leave for India on Saturday, returning the following Saturday. So please pray for the trip, for God's blessing as I spend time with, with precious friends and co-workers there. And we've got some great shows. Uh, we've got a bunch of special interviews coming your way. A debate with Rabbi Shmuley. We'll, we'll play almost all of on the air for you. Uh, Q&A from uh, social media questions. So next week, we've got some really good broadcasts planned for you in my absence. So, uh, Eugene, as, as for the, the, the question about the sinful... Did Jesus have a sinful nature? Absolutely, categorically not. Certainly not. He did have human nature, but not fallen human nature. <clears throat> so just like Adam and Eve did not have sinful nature uh, until they sinned, Jesus was born in that state of innocence and did not have sinful nature. Uh, so he was tempted because he was a human being. So in this flesh, he could be tempted, uh, but because of his nature, he did not sin. Now, there's a theological argument. Was it possible for him to sin? <clears throat> that's, that's where the church has had an argument. Uh, and many would say, no, it was impossible. So he was tempted. It was a real temptation, 
but because of his nature, it was not possible. As some have said, it, it would be like, like shooting uh, spitballs at a battleship or something like that, that it was an actual attack, but nothing that could, could influence him. Others said there was the possibility that he could sin, you know, it was the peccability or impeccability of Christ, but he did not sin because of his obedience to the Father. Either way, he did not have a sinful nature. So, yes, he was tempted in all points as we were yet without sin. But no, he did not experience a sinful nature. So the attack came from the outside. James Jacob 1 tells us that when, when we're tempted, we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. In other words, it's not just the devil, the devil. There's stuff in our own nature that draws us away. That was not the case with Jesus. He was tempted from the outside. As for God dwelling in the heavens, no, he, he can't be tempted, tested in that way because he's not in this world in human form. Jesus could. In other words, God never gets hungry physically, but Jesus got hungry. So the devil could tempt him. Hey, make these stones into bread, right? God is the king of the entire universe, uh, not on the earth as a carpenter. So he can't be tempted with, well, you know, make yourself powerful. No, he has all power. But Jesus could be tempted from the outside, but in all cases, without sin. But did he have a sinful nature? Certainly, certainly not. Hey, thank you for the question. And again, uh, let, it, let it be, let it be uh, a matter where you start with worship and you end with worship. If it means putting on worship music in a formal way and worshiping God and then praying that the study time would glorify the Lord and then setting a time limit on it, you know, or making sure that you don't do that until you spend adequate time in communion with God in prayer and devotional reading of the word. Then you do the theological study. But there are various ways that you can. And then you're always engaged in practical ministry to others, especially to the lost. Those things will help you keep your cutting edge spiritually. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Philip, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Um I just, first of all, wanted to say thank you for your ministry. You've really helped me, uh, you know, reconcile the, the Jewish roots that's, you know, inherent to Christianity. So me as a Christian believer, I, I really value that. Um, well, thank you. So, uh, okay, so my my question comes um, about for spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not a cessationist, um, however, I've, I've been looking into the... The topic of a prayer language, and I've you know been diving into the Word um, about that topic. And when, as I, I just wanted to ask you, because obviously you're really passionate about this and you've written books about it. Um, but whenever I read, for instance, like First Corinthians 14 or Acts 19, you know the the common proof text for um, speaking in tongues and, and prayer language. Um, it, it seems like the overwhelming biblical testimony is that speaking in tongues was like an, an, an earthly language, like an actual language, and not um, not as we know today as, as like a prayer language. So, so is so. My question specifically is: Is a prayer language sort of like a tradition of man that was, you know, originated in the charismatic tradition, or is there like real biblical evidence for this prayer language that we know today? Yeah, absolutely biblical evidence, for sure. But more importantly, whether you were speaking German or French and you didn't understand it, 
were speaking in a heavenly tongue and you didn't understand it, from your experience, it's the same. In other words, you still don't know the words that you're saying. It's your spirit praying, not your mind. So would you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay, so that's, that's the big thing. That's the big thing. So you might be speaking in a foreign language. You don't know. You might be speaking in a heavenly language. You don't know. You just know the words are not your own. So that's the starting point. As for the tongues being earthly languages, the only time it's mentioned in the Bible is in Acts 2. There's no mention of it in Acts 10. There's no mention of it in Acts 19. And, and I've come to the exact opposite conclusion regarding 1 Corinthians 14. So, so with all respect to the fact that you've studied it, uh, let, let me explain why I understand it like this. Let's also remember that Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? So this was something that was very important in Paul's own prayer. And we know that Jude tells us to build ourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, in Jude verse uh, 24, I believe. And then in Ephesians 6, after the armor of God passage, Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit with all kinds of requests. So it's obviously with our understanding, but also praying in the Spirit transcends our understanding. And Romans 8 speaks of the Spirit interceding uh, through us with groans that can't be uttered. So I don't believe that's tongues there, but that's also groaning, travailing before the Lord, carrying this burden that you can just express with, with groans and pain of heart, with your mind not understanding it, but your spirit understanding. So Paul says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So just starting there, you're not understanding it, but nobody understands you. If it was an earthly language, somebody would understand you. The people who speak that language would, but Paul says, no one understands, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So these are things beyond human understanding. Uh, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So if, if you were speaking a foreign tongue, then the people who understood that, that would be for their edification and consolation, whereas it's not because no one understands it, whereas prophecy, you are speaking to people. Um, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Why? Because no one understands him. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And then he goes on that prophecy, especially for public ministry, is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets. And then you have to have someone who is gifted. First Corinthians 12, one of the gifts of the Spirit is interpretation. If that person is not there, then don't speak in tongues. Why doesn't, in a public setting, don't deliver messages? Why didn't Paul say, unless someone speaks that language, don't, don't speak it? No, unless there's an interpreter, someone who has that gift, then you don't speak. Why? Because this is only understood in spiritual terms. So as I read it, uh, it's, it's quite explicit and it's in harmony with, with what God is doing around the world and has done for many centuries. And then in, in massive terms in the last century plus, uh, it's something that you've talked to people around the world and just say, we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. You don't coach them. You don't explain what's going to happen. You don't tell them to say words like this and they begin speaking a new language. Um, you know, I know of people that didn't even know about it. A pastor I spoke for once in Raleigh, North Carolina said his mother was part of a Baptist prayer group, never even heard of tongues. They were praying together and the Holy, they were all filled with the Spirit, began to speak in tongues and then, then went to the world like, what is this? So God is doing it around the world, but scripturally it seems quite explicit 
that it's you're building yourself up, you're speaking mysteries in the spirit that no one understands you and that you shouldn't speak in, unless someone there has that, that gift of interpretation. So what am I missing in terms of saying it seems quite explicit that it's, it's not an earthly language that others understand? Um, well, when I re- read on through 1 Corinthians 14, um, you know, all that seems clear until I hit verses 10 and 11, where he talks about, where Paul talks about different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Right. So for me, that, that seems like it, it, it ties it back to, what is it, Acts 2 or Acts 3, when they're speaking in, in real languages. Is that not sort of like a corroboration of that? Oh, no, no, no. I, I appreciate the thought. And I've got to be brief here just because we're, we're at the end of the broadcast. But no, no, quite the contrary. He's saying that you, the only reason you want to speak is so that people understand what you're saying. Therefore, if I speak in a tongue, a, a heavenly tongue, no one's going to understand that. So what's the point of it? it it's, it's just going to sound like gibberish, right? Paul says, like you're a barbarian, which, which the King James, because it's the Greek barbar, it just sounds like you're talking barbar. It sounds like gibberish. People coming from the outside, he says, they're going to think you're crazy, right? So if you're going to speak, speak in an intelligible language that the people understand, namely prophesy in a language they understand, as opposed to tongues, which is something that no one understands, which is why they'll come in and think you're crazy. If you're all speaking German or Spanish, they're not going to think you're crazy. They're going to think, oh, that's German, that's Spanish. I just don't know the language well. But if it's a heavenly language, remember, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, 1 Corinthians 13, so for sure, it's not a human tradition, it's real. And I've enjoyed praying in tongues for over 50 years, plan to keep doing it. Hey, God bless, Philip. Thank you for the honest question. Another program powered by the Truth Network.